Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. Today we are diving in deep to two incredible films that have just recently been released by my good friends Alex and Whitney Douglas. The first one that we're going to dive into is all about this film that they created about Hurricane Harvey and the heroes of Hurricane Harvey. I love the way that they took this film and did something so incredible with it. it right now, I looked on Facebook and it had 1.3 million views. A really incredible film. Definitely worth even more views than that. And they will get that for sure because it's only been out for about a week now. And also, today, the day that you're first listening to this, um, on Tuesday, they are releasing a new wedding film. And if you know anything about the work that they do, it is incredible. So definitely you're going to want to watch that because they're releasing that today on the same day of the release of this podcast. So welcome to my good friends, Alex and Whitney Douglas from Sculpting with Time. Hey, thanks for having us. (laughs) What's up, brother? It's an honor to be on here. You're uh, definitely a good friend of ours. We've missed you. WPPI seems like it was forever ago, and uh, I know we've been trying to make this happen for a while, so it's a it's good to be hanging out with you again, friend. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, we uh, we had connected before WPPI last year, but then got to be good friends. Got to hung out quite a bit this last year, which is always one of the perks of going to these bigger industry events. Is just getting to see the people that you've engaged with online and and get to meet and become friends in person. And so that was awesome. And looking forward to doing that again. One of the things our audience should know if they don't, if they're not aware is that at WPPI last year, Alex and Whitney actually won the top award for filmmakers uh, at the at the whole freaking thing. They won. So uh, we had, there was two different categories of the filmmaking competition. There was the wedding side and the corporate side. And then they, uh, they of course, won the corporate side of that. And then uh, they put the wedding and the corporate films head to head and they actually won the, what do they call it? I forgot what they call it. It's like the grand champion award basically, right? Yeah. Something that sounds a little probably silly. But <laughs> I think it's called the master award. Yeah. Mas- master, well, master something. <laughs> well, uh, master is the appropriate word for Alex and Whitney. Their work is truly phenomenal. I think most of you are probably familiar with it. If you're not familiar with it, uh, where should they go to check that out? Uh, probably just our website. That'd probably be uh, yeah. the best place. Sculptingwithtime.com. Yeah, we've got some pretty cool stuff on there. Um, should hopefully keep you entertained for a little bit. A lot of various yeah. different facets of our work. And uh, yeah, we're all pretty proud of it. Yeah. As you should be, Alex and Whitney have also won multiple Emmy Awards. These are really some of the top people in our industry. And so I am so glad to have you on and to have our listeners learn from you because uh, that's what this show is all about, is learning from fellow filmmakers how to elevate um, how to elevate our own work, how to elevate what we're doing in our businesses, 
And so having you on is certainly a way to bring the whole industry up. So thank you all for, for what you're willing to do and contribute. Uh, what you guys what you guys know about making amazing films. Nah, man. We just love the idea of kind of there being a larger sense of community. I think uh, when we're all sitting behind our keyboards, it's easy to kind of feel like there's no soul like on the other side that you're typing to and we're all just kind of robots and, you know, just kind of not uh, feeling so isolated and alone. I think we all just like, you know, are editing all day in our caves and, you know, it's, it's yeah. good to uh-huh. be remember or to be reminded that uh, there is kind of a community here and we all kind of can inspire into, each other. Yeah, we're all into the same stuff. We're probably would all be friends in real life and like the same stuff. So I think that's yeah. why WPPI was cool. You know, we all kind of got to knock back a couple beers and. Yep. Do no it. doubt. Yeah. Let's have a good time. No doubt. Well, I want to talk about a couple of projects that you guys have done recently. So there's there's two projects that I've seen that you guys have just put out that were just phenomenal. So the first one is um, we're all familiar with the tragedy that Hurricane Harvey wrecked through the coast um, and on and through a great portion of Texas, but especially the city of Houston was just completely rocked by this by this uh this hurricane and you guys are from houston right yeah born and raised h-town represent yeah so you guys were obviously deeply affected by this um maybe maybe talk about that side of things and tell me a little bit about what inspired this project yeah cool well so uh like you said you know we're both born and raised in houston and when Harvey uh, hit Houston and the Texas coast, we were in Florida filming a wedding, actually. And it came in and we were just watching that news coverage, feeling so helpless, just watching uh, our city go through something that is just almost impossible to be able to imagine. And, you know, with a documentary background, we immediately felt so just uh, drawn to being able to help uh, help any way we can and, you know, kind of use what skill set we have to be able to be a part of um, any relief efforts that there were. Yeah, and it's kind of like that survivor's guilt, you know, like we're doing fine and sitting at this plush resort, the Breakers in Palm Beach, and, you know, we're, have our eyes glued to the TV and seeing all this, like, tragedy and devastation and we just at that moment we're like whatever we can do to get back um, logistically it doesn't matter let's just figure out a plan whether we need to fly into austin and you know rent a car or have someone drive us or whatever and so we just started calling everyone we knew to figure out a way to kind of make it happen and uh, we ended up getting on like the first flight that was literally opened up um, by delta to uh, get back and uh you know, we, we thought about um, trying to collaborate with people and it just got logistically too complicated. So the first second we got back, Whitney and I just split up and we just said, you take this kind of part of town, I'll take this part of town. And for literally a week, I, I didn't see Whitney and we would just, I slept on my friend's couch on the west side and uh, she was, you know, out handling Kingwood and other areas of town. 
And uh, it was just, we didn't know what we were going to do with it. We just knew that like as storytellers and filmmakers that this was going to be something that just was so close to home and so personal to us, but also would ultimately be sort of our form of like volunteering and just kind of our form of service uh, as something to like really give back to our community. And you know, like even watching, there was just endless news coverage um, everywhere. And that just couldn't prepare you for when you finally got home and you're driving through these neighborhoods or you see the Beltway just flooded 25 feet of water. And it was just the most surreal moment to see anything of that scale. And, you know, it just really rocked you. And um, understanding or starting to understand what was happening to Houston and what was happening to people was just, um, you know, heart-wrenching. And even from the very beginning, there were just these stories that you would start hearing about, right? Like online or through friends of people starting to kind of rise up to offer up help and to offer up support for each other. And early on within those first few days of filming, you know, us going from one one area of town to another, kind of following one story and maybe hearing about something else or another group we were inspired by, uh, this slow kind of idea of what we wanted to do with our film started shaping up because we were just really following what we were so inspired by, right? Like what was affecting us on an emotional level. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this may be a good time. I want to make sure just to frame this conversation. Yeah. If if you're listening to this and you haven't seen that film, maybe stop right now in the podcast and go watch the film. It's about, I think it's, it's under 10 minutes long. Uh, super compelling. I dare you not to cry while you're watching this film. Um, I know I actually gathered uh, my team, everybody in the studio, and I said, hey, before I even watched it, because I knew what it was going to be, you know, so I, I gathered everybody around and we all watched it together and uh, lots of tears shared in the room, no doubt. Uh, but if you haven't watched this film, is it on your website? Is it on sculptingwithtime.com? Yeah, 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 it's on our website, but okay. uh, we'll just list the link to the video on uh, on Facebook right now. We're just trying to get some circulation on that. So yeah. uh, I'll list it whenever you post this in a comment or something. Yeah, perfect. Um, so definitely go and, and check that out and then come back and continue the conversation just to sort of frame so you can understand sort of the, the scope of what they what they pulled off here. Um, okay, so talk to me about like you guys have a have a background in, in documentary work and of course you know weddings have that side of it as well. Um, so talk to me about sort of the, the frame of mind that you had when you go into creating something like this? Well, it's a good question. I think uh, documentaries and weddings, they both kind of um, lend, uh, they both help you up your game on either side. So like starting out in documentary and then going into weddings, it kind of gave me that sense of timing or that sense of anticipation to where I always wanted to be ready for the moment to kind of unfold in front of me and anticipating it so that I wasn't just always running after the moment. I was letting the moment kind of come to me. And that allows me to kind of frame things compositionally and understand the light and things like that and just be ready for, you know, the subject to walk into the moment that I've already kind of framed. Uh, But then 
vice versa, just sort of how on the go and how much your camera becomes like an extension of your body with like filming weddings to where you're just so intuitive and you're so uh, a one man wrecking crew, you know, you're running your sound, you're doing your editing, you're flying your drone, you're doing your gimbal work, you're doing your time lapses, all that just like really, uh, oh, and you're telling your story like as you, like you're editing your story as you're shooting it, uh, like in your head. And so I think, you know, that really crosses over well to, to documentary work. So they both like really um, go hand in hand. And I, I think a lot of wedding filmmakers, you know, they, they kind of don't realize uh, or don't give themselves credit for all the skill sets and tools that they've refined, you know, the vocabulary that they've refined and that, you know, given the opportunity or just stepping on a limb, they probably crush it you know, and one or two tries and, and any type of project they took on just because they've developed such a refined skill set over time. Yeah. So let me ask you this. When it come when it came to like getting there on the ground, you got back to Houston and Whitney goes this way, Alex, you go this way. What are are you there just thinking, all right, I'm just gonna collect anything I can find and then we're gonna figure out kind of what the story is as we go um do you have something in mind as you're going of oh i want to sort of like a checklist of shots that you want to make sure you get what's like sort of the that logistical process when it comes to developing the story of a documentary like this i'll hand this one over to whitney she's so good at like storyboarding everything and like being the kind of oz behind the curtain as far as producing everything uh, maybe I'll have the camera in my hands, but she's always telling me kind of what to shoot. So, <laughs> um, I'll hand this one over there. Uh, cool. Well, I'll say like uh, with this project, I think early on, you know, we weren't, we didn't have the time to be storyboarding and mapping out some grand idea for some documentary. We didn't know what we were going to be making. We just knew that everything was happening so fast and it was really rapidly changing and it was meaningful because it was powerful human emotion. And so yeah. we just followed, followed our gut really. And we went after these stories we were hearing well, about. Sorry. I'd say just to interject, uh, first we just knew that the water was going to recede. So the first thing that we had to capture was water and, uh, oh, kind yeah. of people yeah. being rescued yeah. or, um, just sort of the devastation of that water. And then once we felt like we captured that material, then we sort of started sifting through all the various like Facebook forums and uh, like uh, Harvey related forums or like local neighborhood area forums. And we just started seeing these stories kind of pop up of, you know, inspiring people that are like, hey, I'm, I want to do laundry for the neighborhood. Uh, I know all your belongings are flooded and your clothes probably smell like mildew. And, you know, then that post gets recirculated and suddenly, you know, there's a hundred shares of that. And well, uh, and even too, it's like these small stories that were under the radar. Yeah. Like you saw all these like uh, big figures in Houston that had big audiences that were doing giant uh, donation drives and they were bringing together thousands of people. 
But then you also saw, yeah, when you started doing some digging, you saw these real mom and pop kind of efforts. And so really early on, this idea that we really latched onto was that everyone was contributing in some way or another and that there really was no good deed that was too small. There was no effort that went unrecognized or that wasn't meaningful. And so we, we loved that anyone could use their platform, whether they were Mattress Mac, you know, this guy that has all these followers or a mother on the west side of town that puts a plea out on a community group, yeah, saying I'll do free laundry or I'm making dinners for 15 people tonight. Is anyone hungry? And so we loved just the heart that everyone was showing and it just really moved us as humans. And obviously that led us to be really moved and inspired as filmmakers. And I'll just, I'll just interject, but just, I think storyboarding is the key with any sort of documentary, like just how you'd be editing in your head uh, while you're doing a wedding. You know, if, if you, as a small team, if you're not putting your energy in the right direction, then mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot harder to be that efficient and come away with a high percentage of usable content for a story um, because you're going to be trying to figure out the story in post versus figuring it out before you shoot it. And so just kind of thinking on your fly, on the fly, on your toes, you know, which I think is very intuitive to weddings. Um, and just kind of listening to the story and what's kind of compelling you. And so we knew right away that we didn't want this to be sort of a devastation porn mm-hmm. film and that uh, it'd be really easy just to kind of go that direction and uh, make you feel really just like crap inside, you know, watching this and then, you know, donate now type of thing. Um, we just knew that like these stories were so inspiring to us of these people rising above their circumstance and trying to kind of help their neighbors and Houston being as diverse it is, as it is. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but Houston's like, I think it's the most diverse city in the country. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so we just really wanted to capitalize on that, show the diversity, show people coming together and kind of push these stories of inspiration and hope because after this kind of aftermath all this stuff just kind of washes away and these stories are just kind of, they vanish. And so this, yeah. this is our way to kind of uh, honor these. And then I know like just kind of help the healing process. Like a year later, people, you know, need to be reminded of, of, of sort of these stories of, you know, I keep saying it, but inspiration and hope. Yeah. When I think in, you know, in, in the current climate of everything going on in the world today and in, you know, in, in politics and in uh, division in so many different ways, whether it's you know, political division, racial division, religious division, like whatever it is that is hitting home for the different individuals who are part of our country, it's, it's a divided place right now. And one of the things that you guys did in your film was to show how like in the in the midst of like the biggest storm we've seen we put all that aside and say um you know we are we're one you know we're, we're humans together um regardless of of all those other things and i loved how you you express diversity in all of those ways you know, in, in, in racial diversity and economic diversity and religious diversity. I mean, you kind of hit all that in, in this one film. Um, and, 
you know, even 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 political diversity and state. You know, you talked about the stories of people, you know, driving down from California to come out and help, and just the ways that you really. Um, it was like you say it was. It wasn't, you know, uh, tragedy porn. It was telling the story of a uh, of a united people coming together. And I thought that was really a compelling way to tell this story that I haven't seen done before for you know um, as long as it's been. Has it been a year already? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we released it, the film for the year marker. Actually, wow, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, it's hard to believe. It's already been a year, um, but yeah, I mean, um, I think yeah, just the, just the way that that you have that spin on it, and I think it it was it was able to I was able to see that you had that in mind from the beginning. So um, yeah, what else what else uh, hit you like as you were creating this film that sort of struck a chord and maybe twisted something about how you thought this might go? through the process? That's a good question, huh? Mm. I think, do you want to go? I don't know. I don't. I think just the amount of people um, that were helping and like just trying to use their skill set to help and just the amount of people that were volunteering and just like, putting aside their jobs for weeks on end. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just good enough to kind of, you know, say, okay, my hands are clean. You know, I did my service. I I helped one family or two families just seeing that like, Oh no, there's still work to be done. And I know a lot of people, it was really hard to kind of, uh, put that down and step Mm. aside from it because, um, at a certain point, the money runs out or there's less traction or movement. Um, so it's a lot harder to kind of facilitate those services and and, volunteer, and the volunteers have to go back to their day jobs. But uh, there's some really amazing people that, you know, given the chance or opportunity, they would just probably do that the rest of their lives. Um, hmm. So, so yeah, I just say the gravity, like the amount of people that came from, you know, I think you mentioned it, some people from California, like some of these barbecue, one, this group we ran into, Whitney can probably talk better about it because she filmed them, but this uh, Operation Barbecue, mm-hmm. um, and now they want us to make a brand film for them um, on the next, mm-hmm. you know, major storm that happens, but uh, yeah. They're this super cool group. They're these guys that uh, are based in the South, but, you know, they're not in one particular community or city. And there are all these pit masters and barbecue guys that just love barbecue. And uh, they've kind of created this community together. And whenever there's a natural disaster anywhere in the U.S., they all kind of caravan. They they grab their grills, they pack up, mm. and then they go set up shop in giant parking lots for a few days they I mean, feed it's hundreds like, of thousands of people yeah, it kind of sounds like underwhelming or not compelling no. but i mean these guys feed literally like two hundred thousand people i mean that's oh my goodness that's a lot of people that's a lot mm-hmm. of money it's a lot of resources wow. and they travel just wherever they're needed yeah yeah so that's incredible and they're just people like that they're just like that's what they want to do with their time if if, if they have like vacation days like that's what they want to use them on you know and I don't know, I thought yeah. that, was, that was pretty cool. 
but yeah, we didn't we didn't know how this film would get utilized. We didn't know what to do. We just knew that it needed to be made. And you know, we've had a couple commercial inquiries like today, um, and then this Operation Barbecue that wants to uh, us to do a brand film. Uh, we got in less than a day of posting this. Um, we have over 20,000 views and, uh, 500, 600 shares. Um, so, you know, it's circulating and we didn't do this like, Oh, you know, is it going to be good for our business? But, uh, if you put your heart and passion into something and you really care about what you're doing, um, it can make a difference. And ultimately that's going to come back to you and and Mm -hmm. help you in your business. So to go back to your original question, I'd say like, the challenge aspect for us was like so many people at, at what point when there's so many stories, at what point do you put your camera down and say, well, I've, I've captured an, enough stories. I've captured enough content to make what I want to make because, you know, as a filmmaker, as our kind of filmmaker, we just, it's so hard to reach that point when you say, you know, it's done. And so I think that was kind of a tough thing for us because, uh, you know, we understood that we wanted it to be this mosaic that represented so many different sides and faces of Houston and so many different communities and types of people. And, you know, the more diversity you have in that, that stronger that idea becomes. So, uh, yeah, it was hard to, to put this away and, and feel like we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. That's kind of one of my, always one of my biggest problems is like, I always just want our work to like there's a bar level that I set for it. And I'm, it's kind of the, uh, what is it? Tortured artist. Like I, mm-hmm. I never feel like it's good enough, you know, or I like as yeah. far as shooting an editing room, I'm like, fine. Okay. I'm okay with this. You're but, fine after days of editing. Yeah. But <laughs> the anxiety of putting down the camera and like, we have enough content. Like that always drives me to like shoot more or like make sure we have like all you know, A plus quality stuff, but it, uh, it's always kind of like, I don't know. It always kind of haunts me to some degree too, because I'm never like fully satisfied. Yes. I, yeah, no, I can, I can totally empathize with that for sure. Um, so one of the things that, um, well, let's, Maybe let's wrap up yeah, this totally. conversation on, on Houston. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the other one. But but before we do, is there anything else that you feel like um, you wanted to say about the about the Houston film? Well, uh, you know, one of the things uh, when we were talking earlier about just the whole message of um, different people coming together despite their differences, their backgrounds. It's interesting because it really wasn't a spin we were putting on what was happening in our city. You know, this was genuinely what was happening. And it's what we heard from every single person that we spent time with was the exact same thing. They were all saying the same message. And so I think there's a real value and a power in authenticity and in not trying to create this story or narrative and letting something really genuine shine through. Yeah. If, if I could uh, add one last thing too, is just that uh, as storytellers and filmmakers, uh, even photographers, you know, we, uh, 
like this project really reminded me of like the power of our medium and the skill sets that we have and the tools that we refine uh, yeah. like our, our vocabulary with and just that uh, we see the power that they have as far as life-changing moments and documenting them because there's a whole industry developed around it with weddings uh, and, and newborn stuff and family photos, but it's all about life-changing moments, you know? But that skill set can be utilized um, in so many different ways for so many different life changing moments. And so I think like in a moment like this, you know, a lot of people would say, how can I help? And like, well, this was the most obvious way that we could help. Um, and, uh, just, yeah, it was just a good reminder that like we wield a lot of, uh, power in a way that like this could be something that like, you know, this is historically, a sort of document as to and encapsulate encapsulates a feeling or you know a moment in time and a, a you know very large uh, moment for our city and this is to some degree how in some capacity maybe a, a microcosm but it will be how it is remembered and uh, I think that's like I don't know this is really impactful yeah. and proud moment for for me just knowing that like we contributed to kind of a, a positive uh form of how this this will be remembered i don't know if that really made the most sense if you want to just use whitney's response there i think no, that I thought totally that was... made sense what okay. are you talking about yeah no that's good all right so you guys just released a hot new wedding film um, which I got to preview and uh, I brought the team in to watch it and really mind-blowing stuff. I was watching it and one of the things we were thinking is like, my goodness, how many locations, how many <laughs> days have these guys spent shooting this thing? This was not your average wedding. This was probably over a week's worth of shooting. Is that right? It was uh, three countries with travel days, uh, 10 days for them from start to finish with all their wow. guests. Yeah, it's pretty, I mean, this was easily the most logistically complicated wedding we've ever been a part of. The uh, tea ceremony uh, for the couple was in Hong Kong. And then their wedding ceremony where they did their vows was in uh, Bagan, Myanmar. And then their reception uh, was in India. So, mm. Yeah, and each part of the wedding was in a different country, and they wanted to do it all back to back, and uh, within nine days. So it was just they made it this epic adventure. Yeah, it was complete chaos, but it was like beautiful poetry chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so they brought their guests to these different countries as well, or was it just mm -hmm. you guys hanging out with them? No, oh, no, it was their guests. So it's really cool. They uh, are a very international group, and she's from Hong Kong originally, and his family is from India, 
and okay. they really are so much about their ancestry and their backgrounds and they really wanted to be able to honor all of their families and all of their cultures and Bagan was just that kind of middle place where they fell in love, one of their early on trips that they thought was special. And so they kind of used that as a bridge to both sides of their families. And, you know, most of their guests went on all three of these legs. It was over New Year's, too. So it was a wow. party. Um, and it was the first wedding that was on uh, the archaeological land site of the Bagan temples, like literally on, on the site. So that was pretty cool. Oh, wow. The couple, they're so, so great and adventurous and creative. And the groom was telling us, you know, we just wanted to do something different and make it really memorable for ourselves. And, you know, if I could have gotten married on the moon, I propose that to Jasmine, the bride. But we figured it was a little ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And when you mentioned it was over New Year's, we normally don't take this long on an edit. Um, but we had some logistical complications with the couple that I just... Don't even really want to get into, um, sure. so we didn't even start editing it for like three months afterwards. And then obviously, the amount of footage that we were dealing with um, was pretty difficult. And then as well, no joke, they were pretty. Uh, it was just like we needed to appease some of their concerns because they're very particular, which I can respect. Um, yeah, but yeah, so it just yeah. took a while to kind of. They got it a while out. ago, though. We just haven't released it yeah i just don't want people thinking it takes us nine months to <laughs> no definitely not <laughs> anyways one month per day of shooting so right <laughs> much, bro. so that's uh that's actually a pretty good schedule i think most people do a one day wedding and it takes them more than a month so that's pretty good <laughs> for sure so yeah tell me a little bit more about some of the logistical stuff just like Walk me through a, I was going to say a day in the life, but this is a, walk me through two weeks in the life of this wedding. <laughs> um, so yeah, we flew into Hong Kong. Um, the first part of the wedding, I, I'm terrible with jet lag. So, you know, any international stuff that's like always a big concern for me is just the first few days, like my brain is going to be kind of that 50%. So uh, I really like to go and scout the location first, get my B-roll, and kind of, if I'm walking around outside, it allows my body and my, like, you know, my rhythm uh, to kind of adapt better to, to the time zone change. Sure. So we always kind of shoot that way, where we do B-roll first and kind of get the lay of the land and stay outside a lot. Um, he was still passing out on me at dinners <laughs> the first couple nights, yeah. <laughs> sleep talking. Yeah, she, she's still waiting to uh, put out that blackmail video yes. where she was recording me <laughs> as, like, as she's interviewing me at dinner, and I keep falling asleep as she's recording. Me. It's pretty, it's pretty classic. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, so yeah, Hong Kong was first. It was you know tea ceremony, and we always try and push our couples to. Uh, do a, uh, a shoot, a private or a portrait shoot in each location because yeah, um, a lot of the formal stuff with the weddings, like you just, their personalities don't really come through and you don't really see them that much. And if they're having these weddings in these far off locations, then that location is kind of a, I mentioned this, I think in our previous uh, uh, podcast, but it's sort of a location kind of on its own. Hold on, my dog is uh, 
trying to steal our head. <laughs> Hold on, <wait. laughs> uh, no worries. Well, yeah, and, uh, I mean, you know in that. A, in a, the, go ahead. Wait. No, no, I was just going to say that kind of cinematic session with a couple sets of context for any of this B-roll that's going to happen because their events are indoors and, you know, it'd be very random, the idea, especially in this wedding, of three different three different countries, maybe a couple different events in each country. You know, how are you ever going to piece that together to make a cohesive film? You know, three three makes it more difficult. Two has a nice contrast to it, but three suddenly things can start feeling kind of random. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, what does that look like then to try to tie in three different countries into one, I forget how long it was, five-ish minute wedding film? Uh, A lot of, you know, trying to figure it out and pre-production, but then nothing's going to, go as planned you know and you have to be okay with that so there's you know a lot of hair pulling out in post-production and uh trying to figure out a way for the narrative to come through um but we knew we just we knew we kind of uh well the couple postponed kind of their letter reading to kind of the last day and so that kind of works out well for us as filmmakers because we know Mm. Uh, we can kind of, if there's any part of the narrative missing at that point, we can kind of figure out a way to interject that to make that work. So we knew yeah. we, knew we needed him to say uh, three countries in 10 days at some point. Um, and we didn't think it was in the speeches, so we just made sure that that was something that he said. Otherwise... Included a soft interview with the letter reading so we could get those yeah, narrative bits that we would need. Yeah. yeah. And the letter reading, it's all fine and good, but everyone sounds like they're like practicing reading their Val Victorian speech. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like, I don't know. It, it feels like when I was trying to read in front of my class in like sixth grade, or, that's obviously not Val Victorian, but like, you know, it's just so like stiff and formal and there's just no like soul to it. Um, so I don't know if I can get some off the cuff responses from people. Uh, I prefer that just cause there's a little more like soul, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. We don't always get to work with, uh, with great actors and actresses. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that would be cool, but Yes, I've been there, no doubt. So, um, yeah, one of the cool things I thought too was the way that you tied the B-roll in with the couple footage. So what does that look like as you're traveling over the course of a week and a half in three different countries with a couple and all their wedding guests? What what does that part of it look like in terms of you hanging out with, um, you know, hanging out with the couple and sort of orchestrating that side of things to be able to tie all this together? Um, So, yeah, I know we hinted on some of the logistics earlier, but we're like flying with a couple in, you know, from Hong Kong into Myanmar. And that very same morning, you know, that we get in, we're, we're shooting a like Indian ceremony. And so... It, you know, if anything went wrong, if any of our bags were 
uh, delayed, like it would have been totally F to some degree. I mean, our carry-ons which are our cameras, but like our tripods would have made it or our gimbal or whatever. Uh, so there's always like a level of uncertainty going into things like that. And you kind of just have to, you know, roll with it. Uh, but I think spending this much time with a couple, like we be just kind of became like a guest or a mm-hmm. friend. Like they didn't really see us um, as holding a camera or as someone that they hired. You know, the camera eventually just kind of became invisible to them. And mm-hmm. we kind of just became more of, you know, a guest at their wedding, which, you know, I think is a really cool feeling. Uh, I think there's a lot more personality that kind of came through in this couple, like as, yeah. as opposed to like, Maybe, uh, what? Well, I wasn't going to just As pinpoint like anyone specifically. Like wedding, you know, <laughs> that couple, bless their souls, they're amazing people. Uh, but like every couple kind of has a different personality. And yeah. the more time you spend with someone, obviously, hopefully the more comfortable they're going to be with you. Either that mm-hmm. or they're just going to hate your guts by the end of it. But luckily <laughs> this one went more towards being friends. No, and we worked with a great photography team, Marco Marinkovic and his uh, fiance Ivana. And so we just had this great vibe the whole time. And, you know, I, I miss these guys. We, we really had such a fun time with them and got to creatively inspire each other. And, you know, the couple was up for everything and just had such a sense of uh, adventure and warmth and generosity. Yeah. I think being on the same team instead of like being on a separate team against the photographers or, you know, against the planner or against the couple, like if you have that synergy and like you really try and nurture that relationship, it's going to make the quality of your product so much better. And it's going to make your time, like your experience um, so much better as well. Cause you're all kind of playing off each other. You're all kind of excited. You're all comfortable. Um, so yeah, we had, a, we had a great time and, you know, some of the logistical challenges of this wedding could have made, it really kind of feel like a bummer or just like really draining and just like working with cool people or like developing that relationship over that time period. And like, there's some of our best friends now and like we had the best time because we got to hang out with these photographers all the time. Mm-hmm. So to, to reference the flight Alex was talking about early on, you know, Hong Kong, we had a little jet lag, but it was a breeze, right? It was just one evening filming there, a couple session that day. And, uh, the next day we fly to go to Bagan and we get in to um, our midway point at like midnight and we all shuttle with all the guests to this little airport hotel and we're getting picked up on a party bus at four in the morning to catch our next <laughs> flight on this party plane with just them and all of their guests. And we finally arrive in Bagan by nine and yeah, we're filming a Indian um thread tying ceremony by 10:30 on three hours of sleep and uh, wow. just kind of go into it and so i think those kind of relationships and those friendships that we were building and really liking the couple it just kind of put us at ease to where we could just go with it you know instead of having any kind of attitude about it or um you know wishing it was set up or arranged differently i mean you know this wasn't our wedding this was what the bride and groom were doing too it's what all their guests were doing so uh, it made it easier to go along with it. It was pretty funny because, you know, being professionals, we kind of have to keep a straight face and like, yeah, everything's great. We're doing good, you know. Yeah, go <laughs> team. But uh, starting to see like over the course of the wedding, 
the look on some of the guest faces. Like, you know, they're not, they don't have to like keep a straight face. And then like yeah. by We're the third day of the wedding, like a lot of people just didn't even go, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, oh. yeah. But so uh, you had mentioned something about some of the shots and then I had uh, previously mentioned like how I'm never like satisfied. Um, something mm-hmm. that just kind of came into my mind, like, our last night in Bagan, uh, which is the area where there are all the temples and like the hot air balloons and stuff. Mm. And uh, I just knew like, when am I going to be back here? And like, this is such an epic location. And so, uh, and it was our first night with like clear skies. It had rained like three fourths of the time we were there. And this was the dry season in Bagan. It never rains. And it was a oh, monsoon wow. for four days. It almost rained out their wedding ceremony outside. Wow. It was just totally atypical. And so, yeah, any of the content we generated, like you see that epic shot of like the hot air balloons and like uh, uh, the temples in the foreground, like that shot was literally the morning we were leaving. And it was the first morning with, with a good sunrise so that the hot air balloons could literally go up in the air. Wow, and so. Cool. We didn't know exactly which way they were going to go. So I put Whitney on the back of my motorbike. I take her to one location that we have a pretty good idea where they're going to be. And she's going to shoot it wide, we decide, because maybe they'll go over her. And then I race off on the motorbike down this dirt road. And I'm going to use the strategy of like shooting, you know, Super 35 sensor, 200 millimeter lens, and then using an adapter to kind of go like 400 millimeters. So you get really compressed uh, yeah. background and it, you get that feeling of like the hot air balloon is like literally on top of kind of those buildings. And, you know, a lot of it was luck that like I happened to get that shot, but like, you know, I knew exactly f- for the look that I wanted that that is how I had to shoot it and as mm-hmm. well, like splitting us up so that we would have a chance from two different angles to kind of give us that. And then the night before, I knew like in my mind, oh, it'd be really cool if I could get some kind of nighttime time-lapse. Um, so that's the shot that opens the film. And, uh, you know, Whitney's packing up our bags and I'm just like, whatever, man, I'm so tired. But like, I know I'm going to really regret not trying to execute the shot that I had in my head. So I'm just like, yeah. F it. I'm going to go out to this abandoned temple completely in the dark. And, uh, with like the nighttime time lapses, like you have to have that shutter open for like, you know, two or three seconds for each each exposure, and you still right. need two hundred and forty of those. So like I'm I'm committing to like an hour and a half of just like standing next to this tripod. <laughs> so uh, I just got my like Wii, no, not Wii, uh, what do you call it, Nintendo <laughs> Switch. So I'm just like sitting in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in Myanmar, and uh, my time lapse is going, and I'm just. Playing like uh, Zelda, <laughs> the Switch. It's pretty cool, not nice. So yeah, I love that story, and I think it shows. And, and anybody who watches this film is going to realize this if they think about it for half a second. Is the dedication that goes into making sure that you get shots like that? You know, I think I always hear sometimes whenever I, uh, you know. I watch an epic film with somebody or something. They're they're like, oh well, it's just in an epic location. And I'm like, yeah, that that didn't hurt the situation, but 
think about all the stuff that they did. You know, I mean, the fact that they had to get up at sunrise the day that they're trying to catch a flight to the next location, they got to run out and find the perfect spot to shoot this thing with a 400 millimeter lens of the the balloons going up. And they got to, you know, stay up till all hours of the night shooting a time-lapse to get this opening shot. And it's like all these things that people sort of sometimes write off to cool location, cool wedding, big, big budget, um, you know, nice looking couple, good story, whatever. Like, yeah, those things are helpful. And also like you have to, sort of build you have to you know kind of climb the ladder to get to the point where you can get some of those weddings but the way that you do that is like that extreme dedication to I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the shot that takes this film to the next level and what I see and what you guys do is like I'm not just getting that one shot that that handful of shots that's going to take this to the next level but you know sometimes when I'm watching your film it's like every shot looks like that Um, and so that kind of, that kind of dedication, um, is, is uncommon. And I think that's so much of what makes films like this one really stand out among the crowd. So well done. Thanks, man. Uh, I I totally agree that I think the, the content in our films that really does separate it. Um, it's always the self-motivated stuff that we just push ourselves to do and we're, we're tired or, um, it's, it's always the, the material that's, you know, not during that four hour reception, but it's the, the extra work that we put in because, uh, you know, we want our products, our films to be amazing. We want our couples to be really happy. We want to be able to have it, uh, capture the feeling and the vision that we have for something. Yeah. Well, and I mentioned, uh, you know, the sunrise thing, well, you know, every morning we'll, we'll get up at sunrise to kind of get content. And that just happened to be the only day that like the sun was out to get the hot air balloons. But I was poking this girl. Like, we got to sleep in every other morning. It was awesome. No. <laughs> I was poking this girl like, is it, is the sun going to be out this morning? You know, at like 4.30 or whatever. And you didn't know if the fog was going to lift uh, and they were going to lift the hot air balloons. So you really had to be ready. Or I did. I guess she got to sleep in. But I was, you know, ready, having all the gear ready and, uh, you know, ready to go. Well, you know, it's one of those things that just as people, you don't go to Bagan and not want to see that. So it's not even just from a filmmaking perspective. It's a life experience. And I think that's one of the cool things, too. I feel like a lot of the places that we travel for work, we're genuinely curious and excited and interested in. And we want to see these things. And that really benefits our work also. No doubt. Yeah, I, I, I feel, feel like, like a camera, like, like in all facets of our work, whether it's documentary or commercial work or weddings, but it it kind of facilitate facilitates this level of access and intimacy um, to like our subject. And so, whether it's weddings, you know, people allowing you to kind of hear their innermost, you know, thoughts or dreams or aspirations or how they feel about their partner you know, allowing that vulnerability and that intimacy or like in a documentary, um, you know, camera allows us to go into these people's houses that like they're, they feel, you know, you're seeing them in their most vulnerable state and in the midst of this like epic tragedy or in commercial work, like doing a piece for the Catch a Lift Foundation where it was these uh, disabled veterans, you know, and uh, uh, guys that are just, you know, exceptional exceptional human beings but uh they're 
telling you like their innermost uh, thoughts and sharing everything with you because they have a camera. And I think that that's like a really, you know, uh, a cool, uh, powerful thing that like we are granted this access and um, it also kind of propels us to kind of travel or like what you were saying, just kind of, oh, well, let's, instead of sightseeing, it's what, what kind of cool shots can we get in this alleyway or where are we going to try and get a cool drone shot today? And so it kind of facilitates like this kind of explorer mentality, uh, which, yeah, I think, I think it's part of the re- one of the reasons that I got into film or like that excited me in the first place. Yeah. No doubt. Well, I feel like we could talk about this. Like I have a million other questions I want to ask, but we're also coming up on the hour. So uh, I want to respect y'all's time. Is there anything else that really stands out about this wedding in particular that uh, you think our viewers would find interesting or helpful? Hmm. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I could spend a whole other episode just talking about the edit. You know, I yeah, don't want to I dig think, into that so bad. Yeah, I think that'd be actually kind of cool. Not like that we need to do that on another episode, but kind of going, I thought it was one of the more interesting moments of this was just kind of talking about a couple of the shots and kind of the story behind them. Um, and I think, I don't know, I think there's probably a lot more stories, a lot more nuggets in there. Um, but yeah, as far as something I think the, the audience would really kind of be interested in. Well, one thing that comes to mind just from us being in the service industry, right? Our couple was very particular about what vision they had for a film and what they liked and what they didn't like. And, you know, he's a lawyer and he really, he wanted to be able to um, have additions to where he could help out in post-production and have things approved. Like in the contract. A a lot of things that you would not feel comfortable with as an artist. And so I think it was a really... They led with like, yeah, we did this proposal video and at the Great Wall of China and brought this whole video team out there and we just absolutely hated it. And like we made them do all these revisions and just were have a really bad taste in our mouth because of that experience. Yeah, and her mom is a, a major TV producer as well, documentary yeah. producer. Yeah. So they have these really defined and distinct Some tastes. Serious pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, so much of our job is also being able to assure couples and, and to listen to them and to value what their feedback is, give them space to give you that feedback. You don't want to drive a wedge between you and them. You you want to develop that level of trust. Yeah, and you want to know. You want to know what they want and what they imagine and envision because you want to make something that's great for them as much as for yourself. And so I think it was another great reminder of even when you get couples that, you know, they seem like they're going to have a lot of particulars and a lot of expectations that may be difficult to fulfill or you know they might just be a little bit difficult in post if you listen to them you hear them out you respect what they have to say you know in the end gosh they didn't have a single revision they wanted in their film they just loved it and going into it we thought they were going to be one of our more challenging couples and so just giving people that space and respecting that and knowing that it's so important to them but also like how you write your contract is like your ultimate protection, you know, otherwise you're, you're subjecting yourself to whatever it is that you're bound to whatever that contract says. So instead of putting in something in the contract, like what they wanted, 
you said, oh, well, we don't really feel comfortable saying that you can participate in the editing process because it's very ambiguous and, you know, how does that really get resolved? But the way we were able to kind of smooth that over is just saying, you know, normally we give our couples up to two hours gratis of re-edits. No one uses them because everyone's always really happy with their films. But I'll tell you that we'll throw in an additional two hours of re-edits and that would easily cover any, you know, issues you had with the film. And what do you know, they, they didn't need any of them, but that sort of appeased them or gave them that comfort level. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Oh, uh, well, anything? Go ahead. Oh, we're on the hour marker. So yeah, let's just, I was just trying to think of nuggets <laughs> that like could be useful for people, but yeah, no, that was fantastic. Thanks guys for doing this and we're going to record another episode here, but thanks again for doing this. Super appreciate it. And, uh, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Oh, sounds good. Cool, man. Much love and respect to the film community out there. If you made it this far in this podcast, I got uh, a lot of respect for you and uh, I'll definitely <laughs> buy you a beer at uh, WPPI. Nice. <laughs> Take him up on that. Hold me to my word. <laughs> the Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show and help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And when you're done, head on over to WeddingFilmAcademy.org to chat with our other wedding filmmakers like yourself in the comment section. Until next time, keep making movie magic.